It's about leaning into that radical belief that that good and bad stuff happens to everyone every day. That stuff I was saying about Hal Elrod, but also just recognizing that objectively, however you perceive the day is actually how the day is. Somewhere in the world today, there's a person having the worst day of their life. Somewhere else in the world today, there's a person having the best day of their life. So the day is not, it's objectively neither good nor bad. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Jeffrey Holst. Jeffrey is a financially independent real estate investor, and he definitely did not start that way. Today, we're going through his story and powerful lessons that he learned along the way. Specifically, we're digging into a cancer diagnosis that he got in 2008 at age 30 and how that impacted his life and the decisions that he made to get himself on track. It wasn't just the cancer diagnosis, however. He then went into personal bankruptcy as a bankruptcy attorney and just took it from there and went straight into real estate investing to set himself on a course to financial independence. And today we're digging into how all of those experiences impacted the way that he sees life and how he has, as he puts it, no bad days. It's a great conversation. If you're interested in understanding how knowing your why and why you're in real estate investing is so important and how powerful that is, this is a great conversation to listen to. Jeff is a fantastic guy to have a conversation with. He and I talked for well over an hour beyond the uh, recording here, which is just about a half an hour long. And you're going to learn so much. If you're concerned about you know, having these personal experiences that can impact the way you see life and, and just understanding how short life is, this is a conversation to listen to because Jeff had that and he applied those lessons to help push him further and reach bigger and better goals. And he's still with us today. So I'm very happy to present this conversation to you. Just as a quick warning, these are powerful experiences, right? Getting a cancer diagnosis at 30 years old is a big time, heavy experience. And there's more that we dig into here. But just so you know, this, this is pretty heavy. Just uh, be forewarned. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a real estate investor, and to date, I've invested in, partnered on, acquired, or otherwise had a hand in over $150 million of multifamily and self-storage real estate investments. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and we'll look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. I really mean it. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. If you're hearing my voice right now, that means you're not listening to us on YouTube. You're not seeing the YouTube video and you might enjoy joining us there, checking out the video and getting more lessons, more engagement that way. So look us up on YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe and hit the notification bell when you get there. Once again, our guest today is Jeffrey Holst. We're digging into how powerful life experiences impacted him, his life, his trajectory, and propelled him to become a successful, financially independent real estate investor, and then to take it so much further and help give back to others. Without any further ado, here we go. Jeffrey, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really excited to 
reconnect with you here and teach our listeners about your story and your message. But for those out there who don't know about you and your background, tell us about you and uh, what you do. That's a big topic, friend. It's yeah, a big I know. Topic. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm a real estate investor. I think like a lot of people that come on your show, I've been investing since 2010. But the interesting part of my story is sort of how I got started in real estate investing. I was a bankruptcy attorney in 2008. I was diagnosed with leukemia and it actually forced me into personal bankruptcy. So I was the bankruptcy attorney who went bankrupt. And then I did what every bankrupt person with $100,000 in non-dischargeable student loans does. I started investing in real estate. Like literally like that. Like I, I literally went from, I have no credit, no money, and I have $100,000 negative net worth. What should I do? I know I'll invest in real estate. So I quit practicing law. I took a job and I just started buying single family properties. And it turns out that was really good timing because it was 2010. And the market's been up pretty much every second since then. So, wow. That well, so for the listeners, you and I both separately spoke on an online conference right around the beginning of COVID. And, and I heard your story about being diagnosed with leukemia in 2008. And I was at the time, I was just slightly older than you were, you know, back at the time when you were diagnosed. And that really, I don't know. It really hit home for me because I was like, holy crap, you know, I, that, that could happen to me. You know, I could be in the same situation. I would imagine that that kind of experience really changed your outlook on life. I mean, obviously did from the, the moves that you made, but really changed the way that you see your daily life and, and activities. It does. So, you know, I have a daily, so I, I have, what I have is called CML, chronic myeloid leukemia. And it's, I'm very fortunate because there was about four or five days where we didn't know what kind of leukemia I had and my white blood cell count was super, super high. So I went through this period of just about a week where I thought I had weeks at the most to live. Wow. Right? Like it was in September of 2008 and we were having conversations like, will you make it till Christmas? Right? Like, you know, two months, like, you know, that kind of stuff. My dad came into the hospital one day and said, if you live till February in September, I'll take you to Australia. And I was like, I'm just hopeful to make it till Christmas. That's where I was mindset-wise for a few days. Now, I actually felt pretty optimistic about the future. I know that sounds weird. I've, I've always been a very positive person. And, you know, I have a personal life philosophy about not having bad days. So I was like, I'm not going to have a bad day. I'm just going to like, if I'm going to die, I'm going to live good days until I die. That was my, that was my philosophy. But I did believe I was going to die. And that does change how you look at stuff. And, and I'm actually really fortunate because that... The treatment that I have is a daily oral chemotherapy, and I've had to take it since 2008. But every single day when I take that pill, it's like a daily reminder of my own mortality. It's like, if I don't take this, I'm going to die. Now, obviously, I won't die in one day if I miss one dose, right? But but it's just a constant reminder. And then I also get these like annual reminders, right, where I go back for follow-ups with my oncologist and, and I have like a whole day, like I have, I have it pretty much every December. So, you know, I, I go in there and they're like, I'm always convinced that I'm going to get bad news. Like I'm always convinced. I'm like that day, I'll be sitting in the doctor's office waiting for the doctor to come in and I'll be like, I just know this is the time they're giving me bad news. And, you know, fortunately they haven't. So hopefully we keep that up for a little bit longer. But, but what it does do is it's highly motivating. Like it started out, I was like, well, I need to figure out a way to make money for my wife. Cause if I die, she's not going to have any money. And so I, I started investing in real estate because I wanted something that would produce income if I wasn't able to work. 
I mean, that's what put me in bankruptcy. I mean, I wasn't able to work. I had a small bankruptcy firm, cost about $5,000-ish a week to keep it open. I had an attorney quit two weeks before I was diagnosed, and I only had one other attorney that worked for me, so it was me and one guy. He quit, and then and then right after his two-week notice was up, essentially, is when I was diagnosed. So I went from two attorneys to zero overnight and went from making you know, a few thousand a week more than expenses to losing 5,000 a week almost immediately. And, uh, and it created a gigantic hole in a very short period of time. Wow. So at that point, I think a lot of people's direction would be, I need to go find another job. Hey, I'm, I, I am an attorney. This is a marketable skill. I can do it. I'm going to go, you know, try to continue to be an attorney, but you didn't do that. You went and started investing in real estate. Why and how did you make that decision and not just, fr- frankly, go get another job right. being an attorney? Yeah. So I thought about getting a job, right? but I also knew that I didn't love being an attorney. And I was like, I might have a short lifespan here. Like, like even though the treatment was working, you know, for the first couple of years, it was like, well, <laughs> maybe I have a year, two years, three years. We don't know. Because it was actually an experimental treatment that I was on. It's no longer right. experimental. But like, they didn't really know how long it would last. It turns out it lasts at least this long, so it could be worse. <laughs> and the five-year survival rate was like 5% a few years before I was diagnosed. Wow. Like it was really that deadly. And now the five-year survival rate is like 97% because of this treatment that I'm on. It's called the matinib. It's a, it's, a, it's a super targeted chemotherapy. It's a protein. It doesn't really even have a lot of side effects. It's like really, I mean, it's really like, honestly, the miracle drug, right? But but what happened was I knew I didn't want to practice law anymore. I was like, if I'm going to die, I don't want to die like doing something I don't love. And I had an opportunity to take a job working for a family business that I, it didn't pay that well, but it had good benefits. And I was like, I need good benefits. And I knew that like, if I grew the business, there'd be bonuses involved. And so I negotiated myself a a percentage of the profits as a bonus. And I thought, I'm going to go work and I'm going to grow this business and hopefully get a bunch of money. And whatever money I get from bonuses, because I can live on my salary, I'm going to, I'm going to invest in real estate. Because I didn't have any credit and I didn't have any money. And so it was like, I didn't know how else to invest in real estate, but, but get some money and go use it to buy real estate. And that's exactly what I did. I saved up like $20,000 in like six months. And then we bought a condo with a partner. It was the two of us. And it was like a $30,000 single family condo that was bank owned foreclosure. The mortgage on it in 2006, when it was issued, was like 100000 you know, but they were selling it for 30 because it was wow. 2010 and the market had crashed. <laughs> and we still own it today, actually. The first condo I ever bought, it's probably worth 150, 175, something like that now. And, and and it's been really great. We actually ended up buying another one in the same building shortly after that. And then, and then from there, I was out of money again. And so we had to get really creative and do some like, you know, owner finance type stuff. And we actually ended up taking these two free and clear condos and we had a private money investor that we partnered with and we were like, listen, we'll give you liens on our condos. And then you put in some extra money on top of that and we'll go buy this duplex. So that's what we did. We took $25,000 mortgage on each condo and then he put in 25,000 and we went and bought a $75,000 duplex for cash. And then and then that worked really well. So he just kept loaning us money for a while. So we borrow money at like 6% interest only from him. We'd buy real estate in a company that the three of us own together. And we did that for two or three years. And then, you know, my credit started to improve and we started to get access to 
financing. I mean, people who weren't investing back then don't know, but like it might not have mattered if I had great credit. Like I might still not have had access to financing. 2010 and 11, banks weren't lending on real estate. So I think that stops a lot of people in their tracks. They're 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 feeling that they don't have access to money even today when yeah, it's not necessarily easy like it was in 2005 to get money, but you know, people might not have the the cash in their bank account. They might not feel that they're qualified to get the credit or, or what have you. Just all these excuses that can pile up and, and drive people to not do real estate deals. But you didn't accept that limitation and you went and made a connection that could help you move forward and do more deals. And I mean, in fairness, like I didn't accept that limitation because I thought I was going to die and I didn't figure I had a choice. I had to figure it out, right? It's highly motivating, <laughs> but but at the same time, you still have to take responsibility for the situation you're in. I think Hal Elrod in the, it was, I don't know if it was in Miracle Morning or not, but I've heard him say it a couple of times. He has this quote I love. And he says, the, the moment you take 100% responsibility for anything in your, or for everything in your life is the moment you can change anything in your life. And I love that. And it resonates really well with me because I think when I was diagnosed, I could have easily said, I better go curl up and die in the corner. Instead, I sought out the best medical care I could. I planned a new life and I also made moves that were more aggressive than what most people would do, frankly, in that situation. I was like, well, if I'm going to die, I need to die leaving my wife taken care of. Like that was, that was the motivator for me. And the only reason I was able to do that is because I recognized, well, it might not have been my fault that I had leukemia. It was my responsibility. No one else was going to take care of me. So what I, I wonder is for... For our listeners out there, how can we get that lesson? How can we really internalize that les lesson, frankly, without having a leukemia diagnosis? If we can avoid that part. Yeah, yeah, no, I would recommend that avoiding that part. Um, <laughs> I'm sure, yeah, sure you would. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it comes back down to just that's why I like the Hell Elrod quote, because, you know, Hell Elrod has also had leukemia and he's also had like medical issues and, and accidents and, you know, near death experiences. But but he goes and he tells people about it and he distills it in such a po uh, in such a potent way, right? He's like saying, "Look, you have to. It's like radical responsibility. Everything in your life is your responsibility. Period. Now it might not be your fault, right? Like you, you know, if you get you know someone takes advantage of you because of your relative you know weakness or whatever, that sucks, right? But that doesn't mean you can't still make the best possible moves in that situation." You get a terminal illness, you have to make the best moves given that. It's kind of like the the Kenny Rogers, you know, playing the cards you're dealt, you know, know when to hold them, when to fold them. Thing. Because it really does come down to that. Like good and bad stuff is going to happen to everyone. And you have to like deal with the bad stuff and like lean into the good stuff. And if you do that on the whole, you're going to come out better than you would have otherwise. Now, it might not be perfect, but no one has a perfect life. So- can you think of any more recent examples? It sounds to me like like maybe you're more willing to say yes to experiences now or maybe more willing to take risks now or things that maybe would be perceived as, as risks now that you may not have been otherwise. Tell me if I'm right or wrong about that. But if so, are there any recent experiences where you can think maybe pre-leukemia Jeff wouldn't have gone for this, wouldn't have said yes, wouldn't have gone down that road, whereas you today just go for it? Yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to really like say pre-leukemia, Jeff, because I have this actually even predating leukemia. 
I had this thing. I was backpacking around Europe in 1999. In between, I went to a community college for a few years, and then I went over to undergrad at a different school. And in between there, I took a year off. And I spent a, about two, about a month here around Europe. And I didn't have a lot of money. I'd gotten like a tax return. I had like $3,500. And that's oh all God. I had for this trip around Europe was like $3,500, right? I was working at a 7-Eleven like, part-time. Like that's how crazy this was. And I remember I was in southern Spain and I really wanted to go to Morocco, which is like you could take the ferry for $30 across the ocean. Like you know, it was like a like an hour ferry ride or something like that. And I just, I kind of chickened out, right? Like I was just like, oh, I don't know if I should spend $30. It's a lot of money. It's a huge part of my budget, which it was really. But I also was kind of scared to do it. Like I was like, this is a risk that I, I just don't know if I want to take it, right? And retrospectively, it sounds dumb to me because I've traveled all around the world and I've done all these amazing things. But at the time I was like, I never knew anyone that had ever gone to Europe other than my parents who went on their honeymoon. I didn't, none of my friends had gone to Europe. I mean, this is like, you know, this is like early days of, of like, I mean, Google didn't exist yet. Like it literally hadn't been invented yet, you know, stuff like that. Right. Mm -hmm. So we didn't have like, you know, all the Instagram and, you know, seeing people in Paris and stuff. So the fact that I was even in Europe was already like super exotic, you know, like, unless you're watching like, you know, Rick Steves on like, you know, on, on public access television, you didn't even hear of people going to Europe. Right. So I'm, I'm down there in southern Spain looking across the water and you can actually see the coast of Spain from from or of Morocco from southern Spain because wow. it's only about 16 or 17 miles across the channel at the narrowest point of of the Mediterranean and I just I just flat chickened out right so when I got leukemia I thought back about Morocco and I thought man I might die without ever getting to Africa you know like now I had actually gone to Cairo in between there so it wasn't actually true that I was going to die without going to Africa, but, but Egypt feels different than, than Morocco, right? They're not the same place. And to this day, I still haven't been to Morocco, which is a giant oversight. I should definitely go. But the yeah. point is like, I, I frame it as pre Morocco, Jeff, like the, the guy who looked across the water and was like, I don't think I want to do that. That guy doesn't exist anymore. And the leukemia, like put the nail in that coffin. It's like now, whenever I'm trying to make a decision about whether I should do something, whether it's an investment, whether it's an experience. I mean, I just went to Antarctica this year. I I, I've, I went to five continents this year, actually. Like I got on a little travel kick because I was like sick of not traveling from... I've been spending a lot of time in Puerto Rico. We talked about that off, off camera a little bit, but like I've been spending almost half of my time in Puerto Rico for the last year. And, and all of those things are just don't make this a Morocco moment. You don't want to look back and regret that you didn't do that thing. And so I frame it through Morocco, even though it really was the leukemia that changed it. Wow. Okay. So you have a, a book coming out very yeah. soon, right? So tell us about the book and anything, because I, I think it's powerful to write things down and reflect. And, and the best way to learn is to teach and writing a book is in, ess in essence, teaching a lesson to your listeners. So tell us about the experience you know, of writing the book, what the book's about, and things that maybe you learned along the way by putting the book together. Sure. So yeah, I think the book, like even if no one ever read it, it would have been worth doing because I learned a ton about myself. Because you know, it's it's my life story told as a series of life lessons, right? So it's it's, you know, 12 chapters, 12 different lessons. They're but they're 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 points in my life of things that happened to me. So, you know, the Morocco part that that's in the book. You know, I talk about about how I frame things through that decision making. But 
But it's a series of things like that. But the real point of the book is about giving up bad days and creating a positive mindset for yourself. So when I was 17, I I won't say clinically depressed because I don't think I wasn't because I don't think it's like it's not a magic trick, right? It doesn't solve like actual medical problems. But I was 17. I was looking in the mirror one day and I was contemplating suicide, honestly. Like I had a knife and I was in the bathroom and I put the knife blade on my wrist and I thought, this kind of hurts, you know, like it was a serrated blade. If it hadn't been serrated, who knows? It might've come out differently. Wow. But I think, you know, I was 17 and my parents were going through a divorce and I'd broken up with my girlfriend who I thought I was going to marry and all this stuff was happening. And I just kind of went like, I kind of went like, I'm looking in the mirror and I'm thinking this kind of hurts. And I'm thinking, you know what? I'm young and healthy and I live in the suburbs in America. How bad can my life be? So I just declared, I said, today I'm going to have a good day. And this is like, I don't know, seven, eight o'clock in the morning on the weekend. And I said, today I'm going to have a good day. And I just said out loud, today's a good day, like 10 times. And I went and I left the bathroom. And, and then because I had been looking in the mirror when that happened, every time I saw a mirror for months, I would think of that moment. And I would say, today's a good day, like 10 times out loud. And it didn't like immediately fix it, you know, this like mantra thing. But again, this is way pre-internet. I mean, like the internet existed, but but I didn't know who Tony Robbins was and positive affirmations, none of that stuff. I just did it. Right? I just said, today's a good day over and over again. And one day I walked into a 7-Eleven, the same one I would later end up working at that I was mentioning earlier. <laughs> and the guy behind the counter said to me, how you doing today? I said, I never have bad days. And then I went, holy I never have bad days. You know, I just suddenly realized that I hadn't had a bad day in a long time. It had been a couple of months at that point. And I was like 17 when this, when I realized this and I really haven't had a bad day since. And it's, it's about leaning into that radical belief that, that good and bad stuff happens to everyone every day. That stuff I was saying about hell, all rod, but also just recognizing that objectively, however you perceive the day is actually how the day is. Somewhere in the world today, there's a person having the worst day of their life. Somewhere else in the world today, there's a person having the best day of their life. So the day is not, it's objectively neither good nor bad. It's only how it seems to me that matters to me. So if I can, even if it's self-delusion, convince myself that today is a good day, it is a good day, right? And so when I got leukemia, people coming into the hospital and saying, ooh, I bet today's a bad day. That actually happened to me. Like people literally walked into the hospital and were like, I know you're having a bad day. They, they want to prove me wrong because right? I've already <laughs> been like 13 years of no bad days, right? And I was like, actually, no, I found out at 10 o'clock at night, most of the day was pretty good. And then the next day it was like a little bit harder. And then there was a shift change, like two in the afternoon. And this nurse walks into the room and she looks at me and she goes, oh my God, Jeff, I'm so sorry to see you here. And I went, oh my God, Shelly, I'm so happy to be here because it was like a childhood babysitter of mine that I hadn't seen in like a decade. And I was just excited to see her. And, you know, you could be like, well, on one hand, you have leukemia. On the other hand, you know, you're seeing a childhood babysitter. Like leukemia seems more significant, but it didn't feel that way to me at the time. And that's the thing that mattered, right? At the time, I was like, this is a great day. I get to see Shelly again. And that allowed me to keep my head clear and to do those things that I needed to do to get myself to where I am now. And frankly, probably the best day of my life. Otherwise, I'd be a a no bad day, marginally content lawyer right now. And instead, I'm a real estate investor that went to Antarctica and climbed Mount Kilimanjaro 
and went to Tanzania twice this year, just cause. Awesome. So I think one of the things that I'd love to touch on here before we move to the three questions I ask every guest on the show is in real estate investing, in real estate investing circles, we talk a lot about knowing your goals, understanding your goals. That's what's going to help compel you. And you've told us a few times that when you had that diagnosis, the bankruptcy and everything around that, being able to provide for your wife was your motivating goal in that moment. Did that uh, eventually, presumably you got to a point where you had, you know, checked that box to the extent that you wanted to, did that goal shift? I mean, how did that change once you more or less, you know, achieved that, that, that goal? Yeah. So, you know, it was like 2016 ish or so I had about 50 units of residential single family and I quit my job. The company was getting sold to a bigger company and I didn't want to go work for a big fortune 500 company. And it just didn't sound good at all. And plus they wanted to move me to the legal department and I swore I was never going to do law again. <laughs> so I was like, nope, not doing it. Not doing it. I don't care how much you pay me. I'm not doing it. And I, and I took this time off. And that's when I got really motivated to figure out what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. I was 37. I didn't have to work anymore. My wife was working a job at that time. So we had benefits through her work. But I was able to say like, you know, right now, like even if she lost her job, we'd be fine. And that's really freeing. And I spent a little time thinking about what I wanted to do. In fact, I sat back, I sat at the pool and reread Rich Dad, Poor Dad and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then I just kind of went, you know, I want to just do interesting and exciting things. I don't want to waste this opportunity. Most people don't get this opportunity. So I thought I was going to travel more and do some writing. And I've done those things. But I also thought, you know, my purpose in life is to help people. So I started thinking about like, okay, how can I help people? And so it started by just doing like bigger real estate deals. Like I'm going to start syndicating stuff so I can help people that don't have time to invest in real estate, invest in real estate. I'm going to start a podcast. And we did. We started a, a podcast where we drink old fashions and talk about real estate on YouTube called the Old Fashioned Real Estate Show. And, and that was all, it's all free education. Like we just started giving education away for free because we wanted to help people. And after a while, I realized, you know, not everyone wants to be in real estate. So we started looking at, I started looking at personally, like other ways to help people. And that's where I thought, you know, I need to start leaning into my story. I need to tell people about how they can give up bad days and they can live an extraordinary life. And so I created another podcast called Last Life Ever about living the best possible version of your life. That's been so rewarding to me. We're on a bit of a hiatus on recording on that one right now, but we're about ready to roll it back out. Hopefully by the time this comes out, it will be back out. But again, it was just about like, about just doing those things that are interesting in finding your own personal identity, what's important to you. You know, so I started writing and then writing caused me to think even more about those things. I mean, that's why I was saying at the beginning, that process of writing a book, like even if no one ever read it, it'd be worth it. But I do believe the book is going to help a lot of people. And so it's really awesome to be able to release it. It comes out April 25th, so. Awesome. Well, I love that. Finding ways to give back is so important. I, I have a lot of powerful experiences interviewing folks like yourself for this show. One of the things that really fascinates me is people who create pretty you know, extreme success, financial independence for themselves through real estate investing or other means, reach that ability where they could go sit on a beach until they die, basically, if they really wanted to. Some of them end up trying that. Some of them don't try that. But inevitably, the ones who do try that, do try to go sit on a beach and just ride off into the sunset, they get really bored and depressed. Took the me ones about that two are, weeks to get bored of that. Exactly. <laughs> the ones that are having the best time find a way, find a purpose, find a way to give back, something to continue driving them along. So I think that's just 
powerful lesson for our listeners to bear in mind. But right now, we're going to take a quick, quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Jeff, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Yes, I am. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Well, that's a tough question because education is really good. No, I mean, the first one, you know, honestly, like the best investment I ever made as far as like actual financial investment was the first condo I ever bought. And only because it started the ball rolling. A close second would be the first multifamily I bought because that that's freaking home run stuff, right? Like doubled up in a couple of years, sold at 1031 into something bigger. It was amazing. Awesome. Love it. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Ooh, that's a good question too. Well, the worst investment I ever made was when I was convinced that Facebook right after it came out was going to go out of business. So I bought a bunch of puts on it and it didn't go out of business. <laughs> it's like You just needed to wait until Mark Zuckerberg spent all of their money on this VR meta platform. Yeah, no, I, right. Puts puts now actually might make sense, but (laughs) turns out in 2014, when they were first going public, getting puts on Facebook was a bad choice. Nice. Good lesson. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Don't buy puts on Facebook. No, I'm just kidding. No, so the most important lesson that I've ever learned on investing is really a twofold. I'm cheating a little bit here, but the first part is do things that you love. That's really important. And then the second thing is don't wait to do those things. Like if I bought real estate sooner, I wouldn't have ended up bankrupt. I loved real estate and I didn't buy it and I should have. When I was 19, I was reading Rich Dad Poor Dad. I didn't buy any real estate until I was 30. Wow. Well, very powerful lesson and very powerful lessons throughout our whole conversation here. I want to thank you for joining us today and sharing those lessons. If our listeners want to reach out, if they want to get in touch, if they want to get a copy of your book or anything like that, where can they track you down? It's really easy to find me. I am Jeffrey Holst everywhere. So at Jeffrey Holst on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or just JeffreyHolst.com, any of those places. And the book is going to come out soon. The book for the folks that aren't viewing the video, No Bad Days. No Bad Days, How to Make Every Day Great. How to Make Every Day Great. I love it. Well, Jeff, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.